Welcome to the feature series, How Roger Penske Changed the Indy 500 on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, which celebrates the most successful entrant at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the 50th anniversary of his first event in 1969. Presented by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and Bell Racing Helmets, a long-standing partner of Team Penske, this 15-part series spans some of the greatest drivers, managers, mechanics, engineers, and the man himself, Roger Penske, to document the captain's vast influence on America's defining motor race, the Indy 500, and in many instances, the sport as a whole. We'll also be joined by a reporter who covered Penske's Indy debut a half century ago and some of his fiercest rivals, many of whom admit to being fans of the 82-year-old icon. Our guest on this episode of How Roger Penske Changed the Indy 500 is the Rocket, Rick Mears, the only man to win all four of his Indy 500s while driving for Roger Penske in a career that spanned 1978 through 1992 in the cockpit and continues to this day as a driver coach and consultant for Penske's NTT IndyCar Series team. The place I'd love to start, Rick, if we could, is on the subject of how Roger Penske, since he arrived in 1969, has changed the Indy 500, how he has influenced it, whether it's ways of doing things, standards of preparation, driver quality, you name it. So just curious, maybe as, as an opening question, as someone who's been a part of the organization for uh, a, a significant, if not all, not all, but almost all 40 of those 50 years, what are some of the things that come to mind, Rick, about how RP has shaped or influenced the 500 since he appeared? Well, it's, I can keep it very simple. All the above. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> I think he's been an influence on all of it, really. Um, you know, I mean, it just, I, I think his whole, uh, and this, this is what influenced the sport, and, and I don't think he was doing it to influence the sport. There, there, I take that back. I think there were times that he was when the sport needed it. Hmm. You know, like if it needed a direction or needed some, uh, you know, some long-term planning or whatever. I think, you know, he's so good at it. He's always, I mean, I, I'd come up with something from time to time and think I'm thinking down the road, you know, and he said, well, yeah, that's, that sounds good. But, you know, then you, you got to take a look at this, 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 and this, another four or five years beyond that. Like Jesus, I thought I was down the road, you know. <laughs> he's he's clear on down the road. Always looking ahead, but you know, obviously starting out, just just raising the raising the bar, uh, you know, like all the stories about, you know, they were joking about him showing up with his crew cut team and all in matching shirts and wheels polished on the car and you know that kind of thing, and and everybody looked at him like, who's this guy? But but it was a standard that he set, you know, and, and I think he was probably doing it for different reasons at different times. You know, let's face it. It's, it's, um, this business is about generating sponsorship and getting the dollars together to, to get the equipment needed and, and to improve your team and improve the quality of your equipment and that kind of thing. It's just a good example. It's something I learned right off the bat with him and uh, before I ever started driving for him, before sure. I ever had a clue that I would even drive for him. Um, when I, when I was at Indy in my first year with that pink Eagle. Oh yeah. And we, and we were losing some motors and, and Sue guy had hit, you know, we'd run a few races before that and the equipment was getting some miles on it. And, you know, and he was, didn't have the funding and, and we're needing some parts and pieces and, I'm thinking this is back before drivers brought sponsorship, you know, and I remember thinking, God, if I could just help him somehow, yeah. you know, and, um, and I was in construction with my dad and, and, you know, I'd met a few people like from Caterpillar and a couple of, thought, boy, if I could maybe bring somebody in and, you know, help with a couple of dollars. And I was walking in the garage one night going to my garage and this was the lesson learned and, and I'm walking along there and I go by Roger's garage to get to mine. And I look in the door as I go by. And it just, it's like a, a slap in the face. I thought, no, wait a minute. And not that our garage is bad, right? I mean, it, it was clean, you know, the guys. And, 
you know, did a good job. But I thought if I had a sponsor on my arm right now, walking them, you know, trying to sell them, and I had to go by his garage to get to mine, where are they going to want to go? That's a brilliant, and, brilliant observation, though, and, and it's such a Roger thing where yeah, presentation. We're, we're not talking about the racetrack, uh, no. the mile per hour you turned or the team turned that day. Just the visual impression was such a distinguishing factor that yeah. you could lose a sponsor, even if they didn't the, know the present, what speeds you were turning. And, and when I looked in his garage, you know, and, and like I said, when I went on down to my garage, and 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 ours was clean and you know the guys did a good job but but there was effort more effort put into his elbow grease you know the more thought and planning uh colors matching on on the tool all the toolboxes on the, the tools the the you know everything had a place on the wall the floor was clean he'd laid down some of his own tile um you know just to dress it up and clean it up and, and make it nice to work off of. And, and everything had a place, you know, it was organized organization, elbow grease. And that's not dollars. That's not money. And, and I, I used to get so tired of hearing people say, Oh, if we had his money, we could do that too. A lot of what he does isn't the money. Yes. Money helps. But I, I know for a fact over the years, there were, there were teams that were getting higher sponsor dollars than he was. He's always been pretty fair. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's planning, it's presentation, it's elbow grease, it's thought, uh, you know, and his saying effort equals results. It's, you know, across the board, that's it. But that lesson learned, I mean, just, I mean, it's just, just like a wake up call, you know, and I thought, Whoa, and and it's it was so easy to spot. Well, that was part of him changing the sport. You know, he was doing it probably not to not to raise the sport. He was doing it to to generate the funds he needed to to do the team the way he wanted to do it. Mm. Well, and in a sense, you know, then everybody was like me. They walked by their garage and thought, "Uh oh, I don't want to show my sponsor my garage after they see this one." So they go down and go to work on theirs. And, you know, it's it's just like when he's, you know, early on, you know, I'd, I'd get to the racetrack when I, after I started driving for him, and he'd be already in the garage, you know, kind of waiting for everybody. And he might have a broom in his hand sweeping the floor, and he's moving stuff around and organizing things and thinking about it. And, you know, and then, you know, getting the guys to – I think it'd look better if we did this or if we did that. If we move, We need to move this over here and switch this over there. So hands-on, you know, that is, that is, um, the presentation was one thing, but, but it goes through the team, through the people, his, you know, he wouldn't ask anybody to do anything. He wouldn't do himself, basically that, that effort and, 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 uh, you know, that work ethic, the work ethic, and it filters right through the team, you know, and he raises the bar of the team itself. I think that's where I was going with it his his own people not just you know not just other teams he he's constantly raising you know the the bar on his own team that's how he, it's just like driving the car you know driving the same thing you you know every time i go through a corner i've never been through a corner perfect in my life and i always swore if i ever did i'd quit because Every time you go through a corner, you're, you're thinking, how can I improve it the next time through? How can I adjust my pattern? How can I, uh, the tires are going this way, the fuel's going that way. So I need to go this way on the track to make up the difference, um, to keep the average up as it's trying to fall off. You know, that's how I go faster by keeping it, by losing less than everybody else through the stint. And you know, every corner, every try, how do I improve the corner? How do I improve the lap? How do I improve the race over the last one? That is this business. And that is what he does in, in everything. Uh, you know, how do we improve the team? How do we improve the cars? How do we improve the organization uh, of how we operate? I just read somewhere in something not long ago, I'm talking about at one point throughout history when backup cars became the norm rather than 
than than whatever you know and and I remember when we had when we first started really focusing on having our backup cars ready and and T cars and everything you know I remember early on if you had trouble with a car and you had to go jump in the in the backup car real quick they you know they weren't always the same as much as as much as you thought they were sure they never were and so I remember at one point the team just really making a, a a focused effort on why are these cars not the same? We're building them all out of the same pieces, all with the same measurements, you know, and we really, really focused on the guys that are keeping the T car up with the race car. Uh, they did an exercise in shop. They got everybody said, okay, look, I mean, putting it simple. I want everybody to use the same wrench on the same part. I want everybody, you know, turn the same way. You know, when you're measuring something, I want everybody to measure from the same side of the line instead of, you know, one guy measures on the middle line, one guy measures off the left side of the line, one guy measures off the right side of the line. Well, you add all those little things up, and that's why they're different. So they really did a, a, a big effort on getting all the guys to work together and watch each other and see how each one would measure things, and then everybody find which is the best way, and then everybody agreed to do it all that same way no matter what it is that they're doing. And pretty soon you got to where you could pull that backup car out of that, you know, off the trailer, get it ready to jump in the car and go out there and feel like it's the same car you just got out of. But it's that kind of effort to improve. And, you know, I, I really think majority of it is him trying to improve the team, which in turn was raising the sport and improving the other teams along with, because you had to, to compete. You know, if you want to compete with them, you gotta, you gotta step up and and uh, and that's the way you do. You you know, I I listen to drivers. You know, in conversation, whether it was my teammates or even you know competitors. My dad, I remember one of the first things he told me when I first started racing. He said, "You listen to everybody. You never know who's gonna. Don't tune somebody out and think they're an idiot. You never know who's gonna say something that'll help you." And uh, and and I so I've always done that. And, you know, you, you, you listen to, and so that's what you do with the teams too. You watch other teams, you see how they do things all the time and you, you get, you know, you see some, Oh, that's a good idea. And that you, then in turn, that could spark looking, even taking it a step further, you know, um, it's just, uh, it's just a constant, you know, this game is, is a constant improving. How do I improve? But he, you know, just his, his presence, his, uh, like I said, the, the effort, that effort equals results says it all. And uh, I think, you know, like I say, I think a lot of times throughout the years, I, I think he has, he has changed the sport a lot over the years. You know, I think he's had a huge, to me, I, I would, you know, I could be, I'm a little partial, but I, I would say he's probably have his, had as big an influence on this industry as anybody, period. Since 1954, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway has served as the proving grounds for the world's most legendary helmet brand. From Jimmy Bryan to Mario Andretti and Elio Castroneves, Bell Helmets has and continues to protect some of the all-time greats. Follow the journey on social media at Bell Racing HQ or by visiting bellracing.com. I'd love to get your thoughts on Rick, knowing that you've been part of rp's story at indianapolis for 40 41 years or so obviously more of those outside the cockpit than in but you've added four of those rings four of those baby borgs to the 17 that he's earned uh, obviously been an ongoing massive influence in all the drivers who followed behind you but the thing i'd love to hear about maybe going back to the early days is the culture and reputation of Penske from the outset was one of all the things you mentioned. Everything's buttoned up, polished, presentation, 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 all of that distilling down to performance on track. Then I think about this kid from Bakersfield who's <laughs> built this career off-road, dirt racing and dust and all these kinds of things. And again, it's a little bit of an abstract, but just thinking of your background to some, it might not seem like a perfect marriage. You out, you know, again, waist high and 
dirt and muck and who knows what and vegetation <laughs> and coming to this team where every hair is perfect know this everything is all about the polish and yet i think folks might not fully grasp that your background your off-road background so similar uh, procedurally about preparation and planning and so on maybe it shouldn't be a surprise that despite polar opposite backgrounds coming together this has actually been one heck of a union did you feel that your background despite it being so outside the world of indie cars and such was a good fit right away when you came in in 78 i you know i I wasn't sure uh how much it was going to be until with until you know until with some time and i started realizing everything's relative and you know every time i stepped into something else i realized hey it's just another car or it's just another motorcycle you know, it might have a little different language. You listen to that language. You listen to what it's telling you that it wants, and that's what you do. So it's really fairly simple. I always tried to keep things simple. And, you know, so, but when I when I think back, as far as even getting to IndyCar, I, you know, I had no plans of doing that. Um, I was just, we were just doing what we did for fun on the weekends as family recreation, but I can look back and see things that happened that helped make it happen, but I wasn't doing it for those reasons. I was just having fun. And, and so in doing that, I jumped in anything that came by and I could be leading in a points championship and whatever I'm running at the time. And somebody say, Hey, what do you think about trying one of these? And I'm, I might miss a race to go do it. Um, just cause I loved getting in anything I could. And, you know, that might not sound too smart to do, but at the time I was having fun. Well, at the time that was helping me in different ways to get to where I did, you know, first of all, it was teaching me to adapt quickly to different things. Um, and you learn something from everything you get in that you'll learn something that equates to something down the road. And, but it just made me more well-rounded to be able to jump into something and make a decent showing fairly quickly because I was used to, I got used to adapting to things as quickly as I could and experiencing a lot of different types of things. So that was helping me and I didn't know it. I wasn't doing it for that reason. But then the other part of it that was helping me is it was getting my name in front of different people and different groups. And so it kept the name popping up over here and then pretty soon it'd pop up over there and then pretty soon it popped up somewhere else. And, you know, as, as you go up in the sport, you know, the, the, the audience gets smaller as you go up the group, you know, the, as, as you go up a ladder, the ladder, so to speak. And so the name kept popping up and eventually there was people up higher up that were hearing the name more often. So that recognition was helping. I didn't know any of this until after the fact, you know, when I look back on it, you know, hindsight's always 2020 and I could see the things that that helped make it all happen. Even though I had no idea I was going to be in an Indy car until six months before it actually happened. And it was way out of my league. Um, You know, I just, no way. Just like once I got to Indy car, Penske was way out of my league. You know, but I think, you know, with Penske and, and the marriage and, you know, the, the working of it, there are a couple of things there that helped. My background, you know, the, the like talking about the Super V, my jumping around, we were starting, you know, obviously the car's rear rear engine at that point. Um, not too far out of the Roadster era. There was still a Roadster in 77 trying to make the show when I first went back. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't too far behind the Roadster. But and we were getting and we were getting into more road races starting to crop up. So, you know, my rear engine experience, uh, I mean, if I'm a car owner and I, I'm looking at somebody and says, Okay, this guy's spent the last two or three years in a midget or a sprint car. 
this guy, the last two, three years, he's been in a front engine car, a rear engine car, a side engine car, two wheels, four wheels. You know, he, he's got a pretty broad spectrum of, of experience. But then you have to look at the record and see if they've won or not. Um, so it's just a combination of a lot of little things like that. And when I then when I also good old mom and dad, you know, I was born with the ability, uh, you know, to be able to do that. And then, and then growing up in a household that, you know, that, uh, enjoyed doing that kind of thing and allowed me the opportunity to, to get out at an early age and learn it and, and play with it. And, um, but there was some natural ability there too, that when I got on a speedway, the faster the corner and the faster the track, the more natural it came to me. Um, why I don't know. Uh, it, it just I like to I try to be smooth, and I've learned later on that you know that smooth is fast. The smoother you are, the more you can trim it out and get away with it. The more more radical you are, the the more you have to keep the thing pinned down, tied down, and so you can make the you know more drastic moves and and not get away from you. So that was a plus when we got on the speedway and got the Indy. Um, my first Indy car was on us at Ontario, which was like Indy. So my very first experience in an Indy car was on a speedway. Um, so, you know, it wasn't like I, I got on a, a one mile track first or a road course first, and then I had to learn at Indy. That's kind of where I started. And we had a week's practice to get comfortable in the car before the race. Cause it was a 500 miler. So everything was a plus, but the, I think the big thing, the other big thing that helped me with team Penske with Roger was he's always operated, uh, as a team, the team concept, as much as people tried to argue with him, oh, you've got a one, two and a three and this, that and the other, and didn't believe it was a full team effort. It always has been. And I fell right in, in that respect unknowingly mm. because you know i had been practicing the team concept unknowingly before i ever got there my brother and i that was the team concept you know we we raced against each other all the time growing up and we'd go back home at night and say okay what are you doing over there what'd you do in this corner what to do to the car when you did that you know and we'd pick each other's brain even though we we're if we were competing against each other because we felt like if we could help raise each other to another level to get an advantage on the other guys and all we had to do was race each other, what, what more could we ask for? That'd be a lot of fun. You know, and then, and then it comes down to big brother wants, doesn't want little brother to beat him and little brother wants to be big brother. Mm. <laughs> you know, the competition's always there. But we would rather work together and help each other to do better overall. That's the team concept in a nutshell. And so when I stepped into Penske's, I just fit right into that team concept. I had no trouble working with the other drivers. Um, back then it was, you know, not as, not as widely accepted like it is now. And, you know, and I had some teammates that, you know, really most all the teammates I had were, were pretty good in that respect other than Bobby Enzer. Yeah, I spoke with Uncle Bobby yesterday, and he had some colorful words, not mean towards you, but just uh, right. he's known for he could be among 10 teammates in a team as far as Bobby sees the world. He is yeah. the one entry, and then there are some other weird people hanging around. Yeah, well, he's, he's, he'd say it right out loud. He said, I wasn't put on this earth to make Rick Mears go fast, you know, and um you know, and, and I learned, you know, he, he tells everybody, he taught me everything I know. And we've had functions together where he'd get up and say that, you know, and, and I'd get up because he and I get along great. Sure. Sure. We always have. And, um, and, and I get up right after him and say, well, yeah, you know what? Bobby did teach me a lot. He taught me even more than he knows. He taught me, he taught me how to sort between the BS read between the lines and, and all kinds of things that he taught me that he doesn't even realize that mm. he taught me. So I did learn a lot from him. 
because I, that's, you know, I had my own ego too, you know, just like anybody else, any other driver. And, and, and I, I wanted to do it on my own, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to keep my eyes and ears open and listen, you know, I won't, I wouldn't go up to a teammate and, you know, unless we were having a problem with something and certain teammates, we just did work that way together, whatever you needed, you know, Hey, what, what's this, you know, what'd you do here? What'd you do there? Um, I, I didn't ask as much because I always had my pride. I wanted to do it myself. And that's the way with Bobby. I wanted to beat him on my own. He didn't want, he didn't want me to learn anything from him. He, and he hid everything from me. And that just drove me even more to not want to ask him anything. But, but I would, I would keep my eyes and ears open and, and watch and listen. And we, and you learn how to read each other, you know, and, we did. I did a spring change at uh, Road America or someplace. I think it was Road America. Just a 50 pound. I just need a little more, a little more bite off the corner. And, and I said, I want to go a little lighter rear spring. And we were already pretty light. And so they said, the next step we've got is only 50 pounds. I said, let's try it. I put it on, went out and ran the car, and, and, and it helped me off the corner. Get a little more power down. And so I came in, and and Bobby always, as soon as I'd come in, he was he was one of the first ones on the side of the car listening to me. And um, although he didn't like me sitting on his car listening, I don't think. Mm. But um, so I came in, and and uh, and I said, I said, what about spring? I said, yeah, it's good. Leave it. We'll keep it. And boy, he's just flipped out. <laughs> Oh, there ain't a man alive that can feel a 50-pound spring change. There's no way. There's no way. Nobody can feel a 50-pound spring change. No. And I, as soon as he started doing that, I thought, I got him. That's just exactly it. I must be going his direction. Or he I wouldn't be it. raising hell. I love it. You know? So that's the way we, that's the way we you know, we got along great. And, and obviously, we didn't work as closely together as, as a lot of the other teammates. But I, hey, I had respect for Bobby, I, and, and if you know, he would help me. You know, I'm not saying he would never, but he always. I loved the way he looked at it, and that's one of the things he taught me. If he didn't have a, if he didn't have a five percent advantage over everybody, as far as he was concerned, he was ten percent behind. And that's just the way he, he worked at it. I mean, nobody worked any harder at, at setup on a car than he did. And, uh, and I did learn a lot from him, but it, it, it wasn't necessarily, he helped me more before he, he came on the team. You know, he was one of the ones that helped me with the Teddy Yip deal. Um, and, and in those early days, I like had, you know, he, he bought an off, ran an off-road race with us out in the desert once. Cause I'd met him at Pike's peak. This is going back where, and I was jumping around all the time doing different stuff. I was meeting people that would help down the road. And I had no idea. Sure. You know, I'd met he and Alan at Pikes Peak and, and, uh, and got to know him there. And, and so when I started getting the opportunity to get into IndyCar, he was helping me. He'd take me to it. We went to a track that I'd never been around. He'd, hey, come on, jump in a rental car. And we'd get in a rental car and go out and we'd run some laps and he'd kind of point out what to do, what not to do. And, you know, he helped me twice as much before he became my teammate because I wasn't a threat to him then. But then as soon as I became a threat to him, the, the, the help ceased, you know, <laughs> other than the basics. You know, one but, of the things, Rick, that I think would be <clears throat> interesting to learn about, and I might know the answer to this, but there are some team owners who've had amazing people work for them. And this isn't limited to IndyCar or the Indy 500. But there are definitely, I think, some team owners that might come to mind where they are the central point, they are the celebrity, the focus, any successes had, folks point to the team owner. And in, in those instances, you have a team owner who welcomes it, absorbs it, uh, takes everything that can possibly come in their way. Then there are some others where I would look at a Roger Penske and say, of course we credit Roger for being the architect, for being the standard bearer, unwavering standard bearer now for 50 years. 
But then you also think about the Penske organization and all of the names and how many legendary figures that have been a part of this journey at Indianapolis in particular, and whether it's the Carl Kainhofer to a, a Rick Reinemann to a, you know, run on down the list, Clive Howell, we can name so many people, mechanics, yeah. engineers, managers, truck drivers, who yeah. uh, they have all, I don't know if I would say been pushed to the front, but they have been allowed to shine and receive all the accolades they are due because at least as I believe, and again, I'd love your thoughts on this. I've never seen Roger as the one who sees the cameras and goes rushing over to get his face on TV and grab the glory. He seems to be someone that loves to watch talented people within his organization rise and receive their due reward. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he almost goes the other way at times. And, uh, you know, that's very true. And, and then another, another point to that that allows that to happen is Roger's longevity and, and being a long-term thinker. You know, people stay there long enough to build on that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, he's, he's always been about long-term and he, he always talks about it. You know, the, the, uh, uh, what's he call it? The human capital. And, uh, you know, he's, he's always at function saying how many they've got the total of hours or years, you know, that are, you know, not hours, but years that, uh, the team members, you know, all the team people have together and how many years of experience there is there. And it's due to longevity and low turnover. And, and Roger's always been a stickler at that. And he just, he doesn't like to, he doesn't like to lose good people. And I mean, I, I've, I've watched him. The, the, the guy is just good across the board at everything. I mean, <laughs> again, I'm a little partial, but, but I've just seen so many, there's so many things that he's done that people have no idea, you know, to help out in different areas and different ways throughout the years. Um, but I've seen him with people on the team, you know, you, you, you get a lot of these guys come in young and start working and, and, you know, he, he likes to keep the youth group in there going and, and, and bringing them along. And, and so, you know, eventually down the road at times, they start getting a little, not burnt out, but just need a change, you know, say they, they've grown up and gotten older and, and have gotten married and maybe started a family and, and decide they don't want to be on the road quite so much and, and, you know, decide they want to look at doing something else. And, uh, and like I said, Roger, he knows good people are good people. And if somebody's good at what they do, they'll be good at whatever they decide to do. Not just that one thing. And he knows that. And so, you know, instead of letting them go and go elsewhere, that's one of the fortunate things with Roger, with all of his other companies. It's such a plus for, for, for us. Um, you know, he'd say, okay, well, what do you got in mind? What do you want? What are you looking at doing? You say, you want to get into truck leasing. You want to get into automobile, you know, dealership and service or sales or, you know, what do you want to do? And he'd lay out any opportunities that he might have. And, and if they choose one, then he'd put them through school. I watched him put them through school and get the training needed to go into whatever, whatever other portion of the company that they want to, they want to do. Because he knows they're going to be good at it. You know, he just, he builds that, instills that in people that, you know, you earn that trust and and you always work harder at something you enjoy doing and, and work harder for somebody you enjoy working for. He's just so good at that. And, and, he, and he does. And back to the original thing, you know, he'll, he'll set back. Now, you know, and it, it's the Penske team. It's Team Penske, you know, and and I know, and probably some of the earlier drivers 
that's probably one of the reasons they weren't so much into the team concept. Mm. You know, it, it was, it was, they were used to the spotlight being more on the driver, not on the team. Now, you, you know, Roger doesn't look for the light, but his name comes up because it's the name in the team. So, you know, it, it's, it's team Penske. It's not, Rick Mears' team. It's not Bobby Unser's team. It's not Mario Andretti's team, Sneva's team, Will Power's team, you know. One reason being is there's always been more than one driver, too, period. You know, there's been, at the, at the very least, two. But, you know, he, he gets it. He, he, he gets that recognition without it's earned. It just, it, it comes because just uh, the way he operates, you know? You know, one thing that comes to mind, Rick, that would be interesting to hear about as well. And this follows the theme of drivers, not necessarily the spotlight side, but of the, the core aspects of this 50 year celebration. It is consistency. Obviously, Team Penske has not competed in 50 consecutive Indy 500s. We had that little split thing that wasn't right. very pretty. But if you look at the vast majority of Roger's time at the Speedway, his cars have been very competitive. Drivers have been very competitive. What's unique in that is if we move from 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, the 2010s, the teens that we are in now, there have been different team managers, general managers, engineers, chief mechanics, and all those drivers. And yet there is a very identifiable through line in terms of success and speed and quality at the 500. That's an area that you've been directly involved in as well since you retired from driving as someone who has coached up a kid like Will Power who hated ovals, didn't know him, wasn't his background, wasn't his forte. He's coming back this year as the defending winner of the race. You share some thoughts on, I don't know if it's a team culture thing of consistency and maintaining that high level or how it's done, but you've been there for so much of the ride. There must be something, there must be someone or some mechanisms in place to ensure that name the year, name the driver and boy it's almost a flat line in terms of potential well it, it's it's why we're there it's the whole point you know of why we're there and it's and it's the work ethic um, you know it doesn't matter who it is that comes on the team um, let's say you get you get somebody come on team that's yeah, it doesn't really want to put out the effort. Not not necessarily there for the right reasons. Um, just kind of wanting the job. Wanting, well, you know, the guys don't have to say much to them. They'll embarrass them into it. They'll work them under the table. You know, pretty soon you, you pretty soon you feel like, ooh, you know, I got to start pulling my weight here. And you know, when you watch that work ethic and and uh, the dedication from everybody involved. Uh, and that stems from the top. You see the work ethic, the dedication, the whatever it takes. Um, it goes right on through the, through the list. And, you know, I've, I've always said, if you think you're busy, go follow Roger around for a week. You'll feel like an absolute bum. And, and it just, you know, that's him. That's just what he, and that just filters through the team and it, it creates a work ethic. And, you know, you've got to want to do it and you've got to want to be involved with that team and want to be a part of it, uh, which is another big part of what Roger does. He makes, he makes everybody feel a part of not working for, they are a part of the team. Mm. And that, you, you, you know, you, you work harder for you'll work harder for yourself. <laughs> like, if, like if you had your own business, you know, 
you got to make it happen. And uh, if you feel like a part of the team, you feel like you're working for yourself, not not for an individual. And and he makes everybody feel a part of. Um, the, just the, the way he instills that, and and like I said, it stems from the top. And I'll go back to just a quick story of where I witnessed another one of those aha moments. Um, we were doing a function. Uh, uh, Roger, it was after he'd bought Detroit Diesel. And we were in Ohio at um, one of the big distribution plants. And Roger had gone in and cleaned the place up, you know, the factory and, you know, did his thing to it, everything shining. And um, and then he had a, a family day, an employee family day. And then we, we went in and and did our dog and pony show, you know, and got up on stage and said hi to everybody and chat a little bit. And then uh, we went over and sat down at a table and uh, to autograph pictures. And, and Roger was sitting to my left and I was sitting next to Roger and I think Sullivan and, and Al senior, I believe now all the employees and their families were coming up to get the picture signed. And Roger was typically everyone that came to the table. How you doing? How's everything going? Anything we can do for you? Anything you need? You know, everything. Okay. And, and that was kind of the standard question to everybody that came to the table as, as we're signing. And so we're signing along there and pretty soon, this couple walks up and and Roger says the same thing. How you doing? You know, anything you need? Anything? Everything going okay? And this guy's wife starts laughing, and I, and I noticed it caught Roger's attention. He when she started laughing, you know, he, he look kind of looks up at her, mm. like 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 you know what's laughing about? And and she said, "Are you kidding?" She said, "I used to have to kick him out of bed every morning to get him up to go to work." She said, now he's up and gone before I know it. I love it. And and, I, and that was just one of those, there you go. You know, that's what he instills in people. You know, that, that he won't ask you to do anything he doesn't do himself. That, the work ethic, the attention to detail, the be there, the support. Um, it's just, just things like that, you know, that, that he creates in this in this team that that brings everybody along and, and makes them dig a little deeper, work a little harder. That's how you raise the bar. And and everybody is that that Pinsky way of thought, you know, way of thinking. And and that's so when somebody comes in, they see that they're surrounded with it. You know, and and you're not you're not forced to on one hand you're forced to but if you're forced to you probably don't need to be there you know it's it's usually you want to because you know what this team has done in the past and you want to be a part of it that's why you're there and you know you're going to have to dig deep and learn you know the way things are done and you know Will, and that's just a learning procedure of anything. It takes time. Like when we say seat time, when Will, you know, obviously most of these drivers these days don't need a lot of help when they get here. But Will being very, have a very little oval experience, and I worked very closely with him right off the bat on the oval stuff. And uh, I knew he had the talent. I mean, he, I, I could watch him on a road course and, and see things he does on a road course that I knew would would be just perfect on an oval once he gets the seat time and 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 learns what he needs and gets the confidence and 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 it all comes together which is just a matter of time nothing else just time and he all the ability was there the talent was there it's just a matter of learning how to apply it to a to an oval or a speedway um one of the first tests we went to on a speedway he was just automatic what I call a natural line. I know, I mean, there's been a lot of guys that I've had to work with them to get their line more what I feel is right, you know, and, and Will was just on it. I mean, just immediately just, he, he had that knack and uh, he, he uses that lateral load and feel to get the arc of the corner where it's supposed to be. And he just, I mean, just immediately fell right into the, you know, with, within the range of where he needed to be right off the bat. And um, this um, 
we had a, he had a little get together at his house after Indy this year, and I, and I was here in Charlotte at the time, so I went over and, and we were looking around. I hadn't been to his house yet at that point, so he's showing me around and everything. And and you know, I I talked to him and talked to him and talked to him. You never know what sticks, what works, what doesn't. You you just you just kind of keep your eyes and ears open. I don't force a lot. You know, I I let people do their thing, and if I see something that needs looked at or talked about, then I, I bring it up. Sure. It's usually it just kind of, I'm, I'm an open door, a sounding board, you know, and any questions don't hesitate, but um, you're always throwing stuff out. And I say, you never know what works for them because everybody's different. We all drive different in different ways and different thought processes. But so we're over at his house and he was showing me around and, and, he was just, he said, God, I love ovals today. He said, I'd rather go to an oval any day than a road course. <laughs> he said, I just absolutely love them now. I said, I know it. I'm the, I was always the same way. I mean, I love both of them. But if you gave me a choice, I'd take an oval. It just to me, it's there's something about it, you know. And, uh, and so we're talking like that a little bit pretty soon. He says, you remember telling me a long time ago about, about driving with pressure on the wheel, not movement? I said, oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. He said, I finally got there this year. Wow. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I finally got there this year, and it helped so much. But it took it took a lot of time to – because you never know what stage anybody's at either, and I, I never know. To me, everything I did just – as I say, why do you do that? I said, what do you mean why do I do that? I just do it. That's what the car tells me at once, and I do it. <laughs> you know, I don't. It was. It's no magic. And um, but you real. I realized with time how much of that was kind of natural and came to me, and then uh, how much when other people have to learn it. You know, but which I had to do on a, on a, the slower of the course. I had to work at it more. The street circuits are the ones I had to learn how to drive the most. But. Um, but it, I about fell over, you know, because I remember telling him that it was quite a long time ago. And he says, I finally got there this year. Why don't we close on this, Rick? When I spoke with Chuck Sprague for this series, he mentioned something that I thought was fascinating and so true. And he said, of everything that Roger has brought to the Speedway, the unsung heroes of the Penske organization for so many years was the Penske cars, the actual fabrication design creation team for the Penske chassis that were used to such great effect for so long. And thinking about your history, I love the fact that your first race with Roger or your first season with Roger in 78 was with a Penske PC6 and your last was in a PC21. So you were there for a lot of years, a lot of models, a lot of great stuff coming out of the, the shop in Pool, England. Obviously, time has gone by. We're no longer yes. in a place where teams or, or just a variety of manufacturers are bringing their cars and, and new ideas every year. But why don't you share some thoughts about the different PC cars that you, uh, the different PC designations that you drove, the people who designed or engineered or manufactured those cars because specifically in your career, there was not a single year where you drove a spec anything. Yeah, I, they, they were uh, the, the unsung heroes. And, and, you know, I loved it when we could do our own cars and, and, you know, let's face it, I'm lazy. I always have been. And that's why I always worked hard on getting the car working because I knew the better the car worked, the less, less I'd have to. And um, when you're doing your own cars, you know, I, I loved it. And again, selfish reason. If you find something, the others don't have it. And so if you if you can get that advantage, you, you can hang on to it longer. Uh, which is one of the great things about, you know, having your own cars. A couple of things. First off, real quick, with Penske and his cars, another one of the great things about Roger was because his name on it, his ego didn't get in the way if the car wasn't working. That's a great point. You know, and because 
don't know, a couple of years there, we, you know, I had to jump in a march right off, right, right, just before qualifying. And um, well, the first year was at 84 that we went, the year we won, that was in a march, I think it was. And and we got it three days before qualifying and, and went out and set it on the front row. It just showed the depth of the team and the strength of the team taking a car that uh, other teams had been using for a couple of years at that point and were up to speed with it. And, and our guys took it and did their thing to it, set the thing on the front row and then won the race with it. But it just showed the depth of, of the guys. But the thing was... Roger and Indy, he lights up for Indy. I mean, he, he racing is, as he said it time and time again, right? This is my golf game. You know, this is my golf racing. And um, he wants to be competitive. And, and the, the other great thing about him being a driver, for me as a driver, when I came in and said the car is doing this, this or this, he'd say he understood because he'd been there. He said, well, you can't drive it like that. we got to fix it. Instead of saying, well, why don't you just stand on the gas a little harder? You know, he understood. And that, that was that was a great thing to have an owner like that from a driver's standpoint. But but when it came to, you know, when it came time, he'd, we'd persevere. If it didn't look like it was working real well, we'd persevere for, through the first couple of races and keep trying to trying to make it make it better, make it work. And 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 make the changes necessary and and but if we hadn't hit on it by Andy and he he's he's constantly watching the numbers and if he felt those numbers weren't adding up to be where we needed to be for the race go get a march go get a lola you know his his ego just cuz his name was on it didn't get in the way of of competing but no, the guys and, and the, the cars that they built were just incredible. You know, I, I, over the years, I've had people say, what was your favorite car? Well, your favorite's always the last one you won with. <laughs> and uh, and they're always beautiful. It could be an ugly car, and if you win with it, it's beautiful. Prettiest thing ever made. Yeah, you bet. But um, so it's always been hard to pick. I mean, the, Nigel Bennett's first car, uh, the, the was it the 18? I believe so. Yeah, 17 yeah. or 18. Is that, you know, after we persevered with a 15 and 16, so it was a 17 or 18, um, and struggled, you know, with those cars for a couple of years. And that car was just, I mean, off the trailer, right out of the trailer. It was, it was just so fast. But um, the car just looked right. It just, in the packaging, the, the knives were just, tidied the thing up so much he, he just had an eye for just a very arrow clean look that worked too you know functional but but all of the cars the, the astounding part for those guys in england for me was you know we'd get a new car and you're just going crazy over it you know the thing is gorgeous it's this it's that it's you know you know, God, how can you how can you do any better than this? And the next year, they'd they'd raise it another level. Every year, it was an ongoing. You know, you, you just think, God, how can they make it a, a, a cleaner package, a tidier package? How can you make it look any nicer or work any better than than this? And the next year, it'd be, wow, you know, look at that. They just they just raise the bar again. And the workmanship that they, they would do over there, the, and just the craftsmanship was just, they were artists, you know, in, in their fabrication. Um, it was just so exciting every year to see a new, you know, I miss, you know, we miss that these days of not being able to do that and have that. Um, it was so exciting at the beginning of every year you just like a kid at christmas you couldn't wait to get the new toy out and see what it was going to be like you know and to me that was always the fun part you know you you're getting the new one see where it was at and then how do we make it better you know let's just you know, let's just keep going forward here and it, there was always something new to look at and new ways of thinking about it and 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 uh, the challenge of that was always a big part of the fun 
but just the the way they did things we'd go over there at christmas around christmas and you know have the christmas parties for the shop and everything over there and get fitted in the new car um you know the seats and pedals and steering and everything where everything was going to be on that and get get our first kind of look at and what it was going to be like you know before it was finished up and brought back over here but um just a just a great group of people it just is as throughout the the whole team has always been now that you know like i said we we miss that kind of thing these these days but i understand why and and you know a lot of people are always wanting to back up and oh, it was better this way or better that way back in the old days and this that and the other and you know what what a lot of people don't understand is those days were gone with composite materials they were it was over and i've always tried to get that point across like at india when people complain about not having 60 cars in line to qualify you know i said you know back in the day when when things were metal sheet metal and aluminum you know somebody at home in the garage that was a, a, a decent fabricator could think you know what i'm going to try something different here outside the box and and put something together you know fabricate something weld it in aluminum and whatever sure uh, not a lot of people have an autoclave in their garage and so you know once the composite materials you know start being used that that ended the day of, of everybody being able to do one in their garage which you know hurts hurts the numbers obviously but i understand why it's the way it is today you know it's i i actually i like the spec car um spec cars shouldn't be as unpleasant a word as it as it's made out to be i don't think um i think it's it's great for the sport as far as competition goes i think it makes it easier for new teams to get involved to help grow the series um because we all get the same blocks now it's a matter of how we stack the blocks who can stack them the best way uh you know to get the performance out of it uh, to try to get the advantage and driver as long as the cars are as long as the cars are a challenge to drive uh which i think they have to be so it doesn't equalize the drivers there's a fine line between i don't care about you know it, 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 it kind of started out as everything needs to be more equal um i don't mind equal equipment I, I've dealt with that with my teammates all my life. They always mm. had what I had. And that always kept me on my toes. And if somebody beat me, when my teammates would beat me, then, okay, I'm leaving something on the table. I've got to figure out what it is and dig a little deeper. You know, that's he's the guy I've got to beat. If we're 15th and 16th, I better be 15th. If we're first and second, I better be first. That's job security. Although we work together to get there. But at the end of the day, I've got to be on top. And that keeps everybody digging. That's another reason that you have teammates. Uh, one Another one of the reasons Roger has always had teammates. But, you know, in, in today's world, as long as the car, as long as I get to use all my tools to drive the car, uh you know, if you equalize the car in a way, the equipment in a way that equalizes the drivers, it's wrong in my book. You you still, the car has to be a challenge to drive. And to put it simple, let's say any driver aid like ABS braking, uh, traction control, you know, anything that's a driver aid, I just lost a tool. And that's why I've always been on less downforce instead of more downforce. I've been arguing that for 30 years, and, and I think IndyCar is, is doing a great job now going the right direction. Um, you know, raising the horsepower, which is what they're taking a look at for down the road, doing away with the downforce like they've done this past year. And um, they're, they're going in the right direction. And, and I really applaud IndyCar and the guys, and the, the team they have there. 
they're now on the job they're doing in that direction, which I think it's showing in the racing and um, the competition. Even though there's, even though the cars are, you know, maybe a little more challenging to drive, which is the way they're supposed to be, it shows we've got the talent level in the sport now. The bar has been raised a lot across the board as far as drivers, talent, engineers, talent, teams, talent. And, you know, I watch on these road courses today, and even though we've taken down for off, made it more of a challenge to drive, there's still 20 cars within a second, which just shows the depth of the, of the, the field and the team, the teams that are, that are in today, which is what we've been trying to accomplish, you know. Get a depth, or you get more depth in the teams and more talent, and that's how you grow the sport. And I think IndyCar is just doing a tremendous job with that. Through those years, you know, we do we do miss those years of, of having the, you know, the the team in England and you know building our own equipment and that kind of stuff. That was a lot of fun. I've I've always felt like I I was fortunate to be in some of the best era in racing. You know, they were the cars were so much safer when I came in than they had been not too long before that. Even though they're a lot safer now than they were when I was in it, they're much safer today than that's probably one of the biggest gains we've made today than they were when I was driving. Um, but I got to experience a little bit more of the higher horsepower, less downforce era, um, doing our own design a little bit of, a little more freedom in, in your expression of changing things and creating aerodynamic works and bits and pieces that you could play with on your own and try to figure out something, a little better mousetrap. Those days were fun, but I understand why they're not there today. And, and, and I agree with it. Let's do this, Rick. Let's, why don't we just close on maybe just something as simple as a summary. Here we are month of May, Roger, obviously wanting to leave the month of May, this 50th anniversary with an 18th victory. We'll see what we'll see what the speedway has in store, what it plans to do with that story. But what comes to mind as we head into practice sessions, qualifying the race and such. What comes to mind about this pretty amazing anniversary that hopefully many will be celebrating, all looking to the man who started this journey for hundreds, if not thousands of people at the Speedways, part of his team, back in 1969? Well, for me, the first thing that comes to mind is is that that I'm just so fortunate to be able to be here and be a part of it. Um, you know, I, like I said, I never dreamed of driving an Indy car, let alone ever dreamed of driving for Roger and then to still be involved, uh, you know, this many years into it, I'm just so fortunate to have that opportunity. I've been winding things down a little bit and they, they you know, the team is allowing me to do that. I missed a couple of races last year and missed a couple this year. Um, just slowing down a bit but uh but still involved and um you know uh just so fortunate to still be able to do it I, you know i'm i'm overstaying my welcome <laughs> but to be a part of this 50th year for him is it's going to be an incredible year i know how excited he gets for this this month and uh i'm just it it would it would be such a great deal to be able to, you know, all of us, and I know everybody's going to be pulling hard, you know, to be able to get him another one this year, and uh, I think you know we all know how much it would mean to him to do it, and and that's just you know that that's that's part of what when you're treated the way you are with this with this man, you you dig a little deeper and you. Dig a little harder. And let me back up a little bit to a quick story. My my first poll at Indy in 79. And qualifying to me at Indy, you talk about the, the equipment and everything being there, you know, 
if you're just if you're just going to go out and you know if you don't have a shot at the front row or the pole, there's not that much pressure. You say, okay, let's just go out and get four good laps in, get it in show, and go racing. Qualifying at India is the most pressure of anything I've ever done, but it's the most fun of anything I've ever done, and it's one of the things I loved doing more than anything else because of that. But you talk about pressure. This team was so consistent that you were talking about earlier. They gave me the equipment to be in the hunt every year, so I had the pressure every year. There was never a year we showed up that I didn't have that pressure of a possible shot at the front row or the pole. So the pressure was always on. I was so used to it, I didn't realize how much pressure there was until the first year I didn't run. Then I remember, because I didn't think I was all... You know, I didn't feel the pressure all that much until after I didn't have it. And I thought, oh, this is what relaxed is. <laughs> I had no idea. To me, qualifying at Indy, qualifying anywhere, that was kind of an Indy story. But qualifying anywhere was kind of my payback to the team for the hard work they did. You know, if I could if I could set that thing on the pole, uh, you know, that was kind of a partial payback to the team for – the hard work they did to give me they, the hours they spend, I'm going to dig deep and, and hang it out to try to pay them back. And my first poll at Indy in 79 for a couple of reasons, um, I didn't think about it quite as much then, but uh, you know, that was the first year Sneva wasn't with us and he had been the gas man at Indy and, and had been on the pole and first one to break 200 with Roger and all that. And now he's driving for another team and he was sitting on the pole. And, and everybody had written me off, you know, only my second year. And, and I remember listening to the announcer, I'm sitting and waiting in line, waiting to go. And I was the last car to have a shot at the pole. And Floyd had gone out just ahead of me and I'm listening to the announcer and, oh, he's on it. And he's, he's, he's got the pole so far, you know, first lap, second lap, he's still, at record pace, you know, for the pole and da da da, and then he went to missing or something on third lap. And the announcer goes, "Oh no, he's had a problem. He's out. There's no shot. It's Sneva's, you know." And I'm sitting there thinking, "Wait a minute, guys, I haven't gone yet." Although I didn't really know if I had a shot at it or not myself. I was still so new. But I will never ever forget the smile on Roger's face when I came down pit lane after sitting on the pole there that year. That was one of the biggest smiles I've ever seen on him. And it was twofold. It wasn't expected, for one thing. So it was kind of a surprise to, to a lot of people. And then secondly, it was for me to bump Sneva off the pole and being the last car with a shot to do it. <laughs> I haven't seen him that happy in a long time. But um, that story always comes to mind, just seeing the look on his face when I came in. Just to be a part of this after 50 years is just incredible. And uh, I think it's going to be a fun month. And um, we're just all going to get there and put our heads down and, uh, you know, see if we can help, help him with, with another one. And that was how Roger Penske changed the Indy 500. You can catch this series and more than 500 episodes at the brand new MarshallPruittPodcast.com site. All brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and Bell Racing Helmets.